So John chapter 6, and we saw last week in John chapter 6, that portion of scripture that we're, we're all very familiar with, the, the feeding of uh, the 10,000. And then we saw, I guess that was two weeks ago, and then last week we looked at uh, Jesus walking on water, another portion of scripture that we're familiar with, and then Peter walking on water for a short time. And so that happened all in the course of one day. And we got a continuation of that. A lot of times in Scripture, we'll have a storyline, and then it'll jump to another point in time that we're not exactly sure where it is. Uh, but in this particular case, we know that it's following right on the heels of all those activities that took place on that day, that miracle of the feeding of the over 10,000 people, and then the miracle of, as we looked at last week, not only Jesus walking on the water, but Peter walking on the water, and then Jesus and Peter getting in the boat, and the winds and the waves cease, and then also the boat just appeared at shore immediately, the text says. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever had to row a boat, you, you don't do anything immediately. It takes time to get from point A to point B, doesn't it? But the text tells us that Jesus and Peter got in the boat, the winds and the waves stopped, and immediately they were on shore. So there were four miracles that took place in that little vignette that we have, as well as the feeding of the uh, over 10,000. So five miracles in a one day. That's a busy day, isn't it? I can honestly say in, in all my years of ministry, well, I, I haven't had even one miracle in the course of my day, but that I'm aware of. You know, you always got to leave that open because... God may have used you to do something that you're not aware of because he knows you're not humble enough to handle it. <laughs> Which is probably the case. He's probably exactly right with that. So John chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples... But his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So verse 22, it starts off with what? On the following day. So that's one of those verses, those phrases that really puts us in a time element, doesn't it? We know what had happened the day before, and now this is the following day. It's the day after, the next day. The day before was slightly a busy day, you know, five miracles, feeding over 10,000 people. So we have these multitudes arising arriving, Jesus healing people, teaching people, feeding the people, 
Then He sends the apostles away. He sends the multitude away. He goes up on the mountain to pray. The apostles run into trouble on the sea. Jesus walks on water. Peter walks on water for a short time. Winds and waves stop. Boats arrives at shore. All of that. What, I mean, what a day. That was a day full of activity, was it not? So now where are we? We're on the, the following day, the next day. After all these things the day before. Remember back in John chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now we're going to see as we go through the rest of chapter 6 uh, that in grace, Jesus fed the multitude. He was showing them grace. In truth, he's now going to give them the word of God. If you have the opportunity to read ahead this week, now next Sunday we'll have a different message because of being Easter, but the following Sunday we'll be back in John chapter 6. So you have two weeks to read ahead and really soak this in. And it's all about Jesus being the bread of life. But some of the statements that Jesus is going to make in that text is really going to surprise a lot of the people that are there. But he's going to give them the Word of God. He's going to give them the truth of Scripture. So we know that through grace and through truth, Jesus is the perfect balance of that. He's the perfect balance of grace and truth. And it's in perfect order, grace and then truth. We talked about that when we were in John chapter 1, that many times we as believers get those crossways in that God wants us to approach others as we're loving others first with what? With grace. And then give them the truth. Because if we give them the truth that's not covered with grace, they're probably going to be offended, aren't they? We're probably going to turn them off. So we need to be in a place where we are showing much grace and giving much truth in that order. Not sacrificing grace with the truth and not sacrificing the truth without grace. We need to give the perfect balance as Jesus shows us. So we're going to see here that the majority of the people, they wanted the grace. Hey, that's the good stuff. Give me the grace. The food, the needs, you know, whatever they could get. They weren't quite as interested in the truth we're going to see in the text as we move on. You know, the sermon, the preaching, the teaching, the, the conviction, the change that would be required from hearing the truth. And remember how we talked about how good the food must have tasted. Remember we looked at that, that we had these bread and the, these fish, and Jesus didn't make junk, did he? I mean, when he turned the water into wine, they said that was the best wine. It was the good wine that he brought. So we had to know that this bread and these fish tasted really good. We talked about how it was fast food. We know that. But it was still very good food, like the best bread and the best fish ever. So you can understand why the people enjoyed it. They were hungry and they were fed. They had all that they wanted and it was really good as well. It's like Thanksgiving, wasn't it? I mean, it's like, oh, you got tons of food. I don't know what you guys do on Thanksgiving, but where I go, there is so much food. You know, there's enough to feed. Oh, really, we could probably have the Broncos come over and we could cover everybody just fine. Lots of food and good food. It's good food. We enjoy that. We're not that different from this multitude that were hungry and received that food. But 
the physical food, it was filling, it was satisfying, it was good. But the food that Jesus is going to give on this day, the following day, the next day, it's not going to taste quite so good. It's not you know, in their mouth. It's just like, ah, I don't know. That's just hard to swallow. I just, that food's just not as satisfying, I don't think, as the other. So we're going to see that the majority of the people were following Jesus for reasons that were motivated by selfishness. Selfishness. So I entitled this message tonight, Selfish Walking. Selfish Walking. I had it spelt wrong initially. I forgot to put the S on it. and It was elfish walking. And I thought, I got this whole Lord of the Rings thing going on. <laughs> I don't know exactly how that works. But, <laughs> but So it's not elfish walking. It's selfish walking. And we can relate to that, I think. When we come to Jesus in prayer, a lot of times, what's our prayer list look like? All of the things that we want, right? Not the things that are needful, the things that, that he would want us. He, he loves hearing our prayers regardless. We know that. Uh, thank God he does, because some of our prayers are really dumb, you know, for the most part. But yet, they, they are things that we perceive as needs or wants, and he listens to those because he loves us. So, but Jesus begins to teach on this day, we see in our text as we looked at it that the people are fascinated by this mystery of how did Jesus you know, get here? Where did Jesus go? You know, The disciples got into a boat and went away and Jesus sent the people away and went up on the mountain and now here we are on the following day and here's Jesus with his disciples. How, how did that happen? How did he get there? Verse 22, on the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So you have this crowd of people, this multitude of people, and we don't know the exact number at this time, uh, but a lot of people, they're looking for Jesus, they can't find Jesus, they knew that he was up on the mountain, but he's not there any longer, the disciples are gone, Jesus is gone, they're trying to figure this out, the people are confused, where did Jesus go? I think John did a really good job of capturing that as he wrote this, because you know, I read it the first couple times and I was confused. I mean, there's just a lot going on there with lots of boats going in different places. And it's going to take lots of boats for all these people to get to where Jesus is. But how did he get there? They're trying to figure it out. They're focusing on the how rather than the who. There are people that we know that are built like that, right? They, they have to figure things out they got to know what's going on. I must know, how did that happen? Why is it that way? What's, what's going on? Do you know people like that in your lives? I have a few of those in my life. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's just that they're inquisitive. You know, we're all like that to a certain degree. We, we want to find out things. We want to know what's going on. But so oftentimes we get our focus in the wrong place. We're looking for facts so we can come to some sort of assumption make some kind of call on what's happening here. So we're a lot like these people. 
They, they were confused. They didn't know, you know where Jesus went. They wanted to know what took place. How did he do that? What size was the boat? You know, what, how, what color was the boat? How did the boat get? I don't know what all questions they're asking, but they're seeking answers. They want to know what happened. So sometimes we're the same way, that we overlook the most important question. They're looking at the how did it happen rather than the well, where is he now? Where is he? Let's go find him. So focused on the what and how, they forget about the who and the where. You might remember some years ago, there was a Wendy's hamburger commercial that had the older lady that asked the question, where's the beef, right? You remember that, where's the beef? Well, given this event on the day before, in the feeding of the multitude, picture this crowd saying the opposite of that, where's the bread? <laughs> They'd just been fed, right? The loaves and the fishes, where's the, where's the bread? We want more bread. What happened to the bread man? You know, where's the bread man? We want, we want more wonder bread. Wonder bread. <laughs> Looking for a you know, thing. But. So, not finding Jesus or his disciples, they also got into boats and they came to Capernaum, it says, seeking Jesus. They're, they're looking for Jesus. They're seeking Jesus, the text says. They want to find him. Why? It's breakfast time. I, I, really, that sounds kind of shallow, you know, saying that, but yet they had been fed and fed well the day before. So there was a motivation for them, obviously, to, man, he does a great dinner. Wonder what he's like for breakfast. You know, is the bread toasted? Is the fish grilled? I don't know, but he obviously has the capacity to feed us, so let's find him. Let's find Jesus. We want more bread. They're going to go to great lengths to find something that they really want. They really want this. Now think for a moment about how we shop for something. Now I realize I've got to divide the room into two groups here because there are women here and there are men here. Men shop differently than women do. We're destination shoppers, right? We know what we want, we go get it, and we go home. Unless we're with you, then we, <laughs> then we, uh, I, I hit a nerve somewhere, uh, then we go and we spend a lot of time wasting time Later we get what we want and then we go home. But we will look around a whole lot. But I know, you know, in my own life, we figured this out very early in uh, my daughter's and my wife's, uh, this whole situation. Because we found that we would go to a mall somewhere and I'd hear something like, oh, wow, Dad, look what's playing at the theater. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, why don't you go see a movie? You know, we might be a while. And even had one time where the movie was over and I came back to them and they said, isn't there another one you want to see? You know? <laughs> so I kind of felt like I was being shoved aside, which I was probably for good reason because I don't shop like they shop. I know what I want and I go get it. They know what they want. They just, it's just the adventure of looking for a long time to try to find it. 
And it is, it's, it's really, it's not that different than men wanting to hunt, is it? You know, we take our guns and we go out in the woods in hopes that we'll find what we're looking for and we can shoot it. And they're kind of doing the same thing when they shop. But we all know what we want. We all know what we're looking for, so we go after it, don't we? We expel lots of energy and time and money to find what we want. Now in this case, for this multitude, it's food. We do that too. We've all been there. We get in the car. We're going to go out to eat. What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? Well, I don't know. You're the one who said you're hungry. I don't know. What do you want to eat? You know, the conversation goes around. And finally, someone gives in and says, just go there, you know, or whatever. So that's where we go. But these people, they have experienced on this day before free food, free sustenance, and they want more. I can understand that. I can honestly say that of all the different kinds of foods available out there, my favorite food is free food. Let's face it, we're all there, right? Free food, good thing. Verse 25 says, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Jesus has them pegged, doesn't he? He knows exactly what's going on. He should. He's God. He knows their motivation. He knows why they're coming back again. It's almost as if they're saying, basically, we don't really care who you are or how you supplied the food. We just want more. So it's interesting that earlier in the day, they were so inquisitive about what? Where did the boats come from? Where did the boats go? Where did Jesus go? Where are the disciples? All of that. The day before, during the miracle, we don't have any indication in the text at all that they were going, where did the fish come from? Where did the bread come from? It just keeps coming and coming and coming. We're not running out of bread. We're not running out of fish. There's no indication in the text that that was one of the inquisitive nature, probably because they're just stuffing their face. They don't even have time to you know, speak anything. But... Uh, it's amazing how we respond as people to these different types of situations and where, let's face it, if we were all sitting here tonight and someone walked in and they had a basket with a couple fish and some loaves of bread and said, I'm going to feed everybody, I wouldn't consider this a multitude. I guess it's relative, right? If there was only one person, this is a multitude compared to one, but it's, it's a crowd, We've got a crowd here. We could, we could define it as a crowd. But if we brought in that amount of food and we were all hungry, we're going to look upon that and go, <laughs> it's not going to meet my needs. You know, I might get just a small portion of that. It's not going to be enough. But if our elders came down and we started passing that food out and it never emptied and they came back around again and again and you ate till you were full, wouldn't we just want to know how did that happen? How did that happen? So I don't want to give any indication here that the people weren't amazed. I think they were. But yet, uh, we don't have anything in the text that indicates that they were confused about how that happened. They're just confused. Where'd he go? 
So they were following Jesus. They were seeking Jesus with selfish motives. They were basically looking for what he could do for them today. In my notes here, right after that, I have in bold black letters, capitalized with a couple exclamation points afterwards, ouch. <laughs> what can you do for me today? Have we not all been there? We're selfishly, we go before the Lord with our prayers and petitions and our requests, not necessarily vetting them against God's word. Is this something that's really necessary? Is this something I just want? What can you do for me today, Jesus? So in this honest assessment of ourselves, we would all have to agree that we can be that way sometimes, right? Right? Good, thank you. Amen. I thought I was by myself on that one. We're focused more on what Jesus can do for us instead of focusing on who He is and what He's already done for us. We see in John chapter 6, verse 2, if you flip back to that, the crowd was following Jesus. That's what the text says. They were following Jesus. We see in John chapter 6, verse 24, the crowd was seeking Jesus. The end of verse 24, they were seeking Jesus. They were following and seeking with selfish motives. Following Him selfishly. Selfish walking. Walking with Jesus with selfish motives. He says to the crowd in verse 26, you follow after me, you seek me, not because of who I am, not because of the signs, but because you're physically hungry. You're not spiritually hungry. You're physically hungry. You remember the uh, Old Testament verse that Jesus quoted when he was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan? He had the text says, fasted for 40 days and was hungry. I like that text because, yes, it shows me the humanity of Jesus. He was hungry. But what did he say when he was tempted by Satan? In Matthew 4.4, 4, he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Once again, it's a distinction between physical and spiritual. Uh, we've talked about this before in Matthew chapter 6 in what we know as, uh, as labeled as the Lord's Prayer. Verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. And I know when we initially look at that, we immediately think, what? Physical food. We think of, give us this day food that, that we need. And we do need it. We need that physical uh, sustenance. But we also need, each and every day, spiritual sustenance as well. We have no problem meeting the physical need when we are blessed with the country that we live in. When we're hungry, we eat. We find something to eat. So we meet the need of that physical sustenance in one way or another. We always remember to do that. We don't neglect that. But we need spiritual substances in our life even more. The verse is basically saying, I believe that we are to ask of the Lord when we pray this, our Father who art in heaven, grant to us this day sustenance sufficient for the day. That's physical and spiritual. 
Grant to me sustenance sufficient for the day. Lord, only you know what the day holds. So grant to me what I need to get through this day. Physical sustenance and spiritual sustenance. Provide for me the physical sustenance, bread and water, but also provide for me, Lord, the spiritual sustenance for the day. You guys know I'm a big proponent of having quiet time with the Lord in the morning because I believe we have that example, I think, with Jesus as well. But also, again, we don't know what the day holds. So if we take that time in the morning to spend time with the Lord for Him to feed us spiritually and prepare us for whatever it is that the day holds, because our days are busy as well, right? There's lots going on. There's surprises each and every day. So we need Him to prepare us, to build us up, to strengthen us, to give us what we need in spiritual sustenance to help us get through that day. Praying, Lord, I know that I need the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Galatians 5, and 23, we know that verse well. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Praying, Lord, let me, help me this day, strengthen me this day to exhibit these qualities in my life. I need your spiritual sustenance to accomplish that. Now, at first glance, that may sound selfish to ask for those things, but it's the very thing that he wants us to exhibit in our lives to shine his light uh, in our lives, in, in the lives of others, to have that fruit of the Spirit. So Jesus encourages us to follow that, to, to seek for that, to, to ask for those very things. In verse 27, Jesus says to the crowd, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Now, in the real Lord's Prayer, the distinction between those two, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, comes from the apostles asking, Lord, teach us to pray. And He says, when you pray, pray in this manner. But if we look at the text, uh, John chapter 17 really is what we would call the, the real Lord's Prayer. This is where the Lord's uh, praying for His apostles. He's praying for us. Uh, he covers a lot of things there. But in the first three verses of that, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son also may glorify You as You have given Him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the Father, we see from this verse, has given the Son the power to grant to us eternal or everlasting life. There is a non-perishable food that he makes available to any of us that would partake of it. I praise God that there's no expiration date on this food that He gives us, this spiritual food, this spiritual sustenance. He offers it and we uh, need to accept it. So the physical food, we see the physical life perishes, but the spiritual food, the spiritual life endures. Physical food sustains us, Spiritual food endures through eternity, everlasting life. 
Verse 27 says that it endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. So God has given Jesus the power to grant it to us. God has set his seal on him, the scripture says. He is the one and only one that can do this, Jesus Christ himself. So the contrast that we see here then is between the physical and the spiritual food. And it's similar, it should ring a bell for us, that is similar to or contrasts the physical and spiritual water that we saw in John chapter 4 in Jesus' dialogue with the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into what? Everlasting life. So physical food and physical water to physically sustain us, we understand that. We work with that every day. Now spiritual food and spiritual water to endure for eternity. It's also interesting in this verse, 27, that he refers to himself as the Son of Man. In John chapter 4, when he's talking to the woman at the well, he refers to himself, she says, when the Messiah comes, he will show us all things. And Jesus said, you're talking to him, basically. That's paraphrased, obviously, but you're talking to the Messiah right now. With this group of people, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Why do you suppose he did that? Well, remember the day before, after the people have been fed and they were full, they were so excited. What did they want to do? They wanted to take him and make him king. They thought he could be the Messiah. This could be the Messiah. So I don't know if this is the purpose that Jesus used the Son of Man reference rather than the Messiah, but it kind of makes sense. If he referred to himself as the Messiah, they'd be like, I knew it. I knew it. That's exactly what I was thinking yesterday after we had the fish and the bread. He's the Messiah. Man, all of our prayers are answered. Things are going to be great now. We're going to have a king that's going to feed us all the time, heal us all the time, going to keep us healthy and fat. Boy, this is going to be great. What a great king. But Jesus didn't want to go there. And so I believe he refers to himself as the Son of Man, as he does many times throughout the book of John. So there's a big difference between the interaction of those two people groups. The text doesn't say back in John chapter 4 that the woman at the well or the Samaritans wanted to take him and make him king, does it? No indication of that whatsoever. They were just thrilled to have him there and thrilled what he had shared with them and how he had changed his life. But he talks about this group of people that he's around right now in Galilee that were constantly what? Looking for a sign. They wanted a sign. He gave them a sign. They wanted more signs. That's, that's what they were into. That's what they were looking for. So verse 28 says, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus had just said in verse 27, Do not labor. And these Jews picked up on that. They misinterpreted it to mean they had to work for something. They, they totally missed the phrase later in that verse or Jesus' words saying, I will give you. I'm going to give it to you. Somebody gives you something, you typically don't have to work for it, do you? 
it, here, I'm, I'm giving it to you. So steeped in their legalistic religion, they thought that they had to do something to merit this. What do we have to do to get it? What, what, what is the law that we need to keep to achieve this? Because they were all about the law, weren't they? Keeping the law. So in order to, to get something, in order to be blessed, they equated that with themselves, keeping God's law. It's all about the law for them. What work, what can we do to achieve this? that you're talking about Jesus. And Jesus makes it clear that there is only one work that was necessary. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you what? Believe in him who he sent. What's the work that they needed to do? What's the work that we need to do? What's the work that he requires of us? To what? To believe. Again, in verse, or chapter 6, verse 2, the people were following because they saw his signs. Uh, he was healing the diseased people at that time, anyone with an infirmity. And then again, in verse 24, the people were seeking because, why? They had experienced the sign, the loaves and the fish. But now in verse 29, Jesus said, you need to be believing because I offer you everlasting life. You need to be believing in me. It's one thing for us to follow and seek something, but it's another thing altogether to believe in that which you are following and seeking. So, if you're a note-taker, point number one, following. Webster's defines it as to go or come after or behind someone or something. Following. To go or come after or behind. Um, if you had ever going somewhere that you didn't know where you were going, but somebody you were with did, they're in, a, uh, they're in a different car, the obvious choice would be what? To follow them. They know where they're going. We're probably not going to go, hey, I'm going to go out and get in front and just wing it. <laughs> I have no idea where I'm going, but I'm making good time. Let, you know, let's just go. Let's do this. We just typically don't do that. It just doesn't make sense. We're going to follow someone who can lead us to where we want to go. So following it means that someone else is leading and you or I are coming after them or behind them. It, it could also mean keeping up on something, following something, like the Broncos. What, what are they doing? How are they doing? So someone or something else is leading and we are following their progress, their direction. We're behind them, following their lead. So that's number one, following. We saw that in, in, in verse 2. In verse 24, seeking. Webster's defines that as to search for. Makes sense. To search for someone or something. To try to find out about someone or something. We're trying to find someone. Trying to find something out about a situation or something. Uh, you know, say for example, you're seeking answers or seeking some with someone with answers. You're seeking information, seeking someone that has the information. In following, we most times already know what it is and where it is. We're now just following it, following something. In seeking, we most times don't know what it is or where it is. We're trying to find it. We're on that leading edge of trying to find it. Then we might be someone that could lead someone else to it. Does that make sense? Following and seeking, two entirely different things. 
But basically, we have to find out what we're looking for in order to follow it, don't we? Where was Jesus? They were seeking Jesus. So we seek things out and then determine whether or not we want to follow it. There's a lot of things that we seek and we just like, yeah, well, that was kind of a waste of time. You know, that way. How many of you have gone to a movie and came out of it going, that was a real waste of time? That was a waste of however much it costs to get in now, plus sodas and popcorn and gummy bears and whatever it is you're into. Uh, but earlier in the chapter, the people were already with Jesus, so they were following him, right? He, he was already there, so they were following him. In the text that we're looking at now, they couldn't find him, so they were seeking him. But now in this verse, Jesus clarifies that it isn't enough just to seek and to follow, but you must believe. So number three, if you're a note taker, believe. Believing. To accept or regard as true. Webster's defines it. To accept or regard as true someone or something. To accept the truth of what is said by someone or something. We need proof. We, we want it to be proven uh, to believe it, right? Let's say that I want to lose weight. I do, just not this week. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Who's with me there? <laughs> but in order to do that, I would have to what? Seek out a plan. A plan that I know that would... It's probably going to include diet and exercise. <laughs> Seems to be the thing, right? So then initially, I commit to follow that plan. I'm going to follow the recommendations. I'm going to follow what's laid out before me. I was seeking a plan, now I'm following the plan, hopefully. But after time, after I've been on this diet for a while, I don't see any measurable results. I, nothing significant is happening. There's no change. I don't believe in that plan anymore. Uh, it's not working. I no longer trust in it. I don't believe in it because it's not working. I don't believe it to be true. I sought it out, and now I'm following it, but it's not working. It just doesn't seem to be truth in my life. It's not working out. We can also believe in things that are, aren't true, right? I still struggle with the Bigfoot thing. I've got to be honest, you know. It's pretty fascinating. All over the country, all those sightings. I want to believe that Bigfoot might actually exist. I want to believe that those poor guys on that TV show will actually find some evidence someday. They never do. But you actually want to believe that, maybe. Maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're not Bigfoot people. <laughs> Some of you are, given your height. But uh, there are those things that we believe for a time, and it may not be true, right? How many promises have we heard from Washington that just weren't true? That's as far as I'm going to take it. You guys can just let your minds go with that one. But how many things? But then there are those things that are truth. Those are easier to follow, aren't they? They're, they're truth. We know them to be true. We can trust in it. So do you remember a few years ago when the song came out, I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. So let's say that I believe that. Let's say that I try that. What's going to happen? In the end, I will believe. 
in gravity. <laughs> I will believe that I can't fly, right? That's going to be very evident. It's true. It's proven. It's been tested. So true belief in something or someone has to be proven. There has to be sufficient evidence to prove that it's true. And then we can, we can believe it at 100% without doubt. So Jesus is saying to them in that verse, believe that God sent me and believe what I'm saying. This, this is truth. Now it's interesting that the word believe is actually used 241 times in the Bible. It's used 107 times by the Apostle John just in his uh, books and letters, 107 times. It's used 98 times in John's gospel alone. We're going to see the word believed used a lot in John's gospel. Well, how do I know that? How, how can I believe that? I counted. Actually, that's a lie. Someone else counted, but I believe them. I believe that they counted uh, correctly. Believe is a very important word to God. Believe what? Verse 29, believe in the one that God sent. Believe what he says. Believe he's the son of God. Believe everything that he did. Believe everything that he said. We're going to see in a couple weeks that without this believing, without believing who Jesus is, this crowd's going to have a very difficult time swallowing what he's going to teach. Some of the apostles even said, this is, this is a hard lesson. It was a hard thing that he was explaining. It was tough for them to get through, to, to accept. But he is the bread of life sent from God. Believe in that. That's what he's asking us to do. That's what he's requiring us to do. Believe. John 3.16, we'll go back to this verse time and time and time again as we go through the book of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever what? Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So in closing tonight, let's turn to John chapter 14. Flip over there. John chapter 14. Another familiar portion of Scripture. But John chapter 14, starting with verse 1. Jesus is saying this to comfort his apostles. Uh, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through him. For all that Jesus has already done for all of us, for what we know from his word, the things that he's done for us, we should not be walking selfishly in him, like the crowd looking for what they could get. We should be walking thankfully in him because of what he's already provided for us. 
But more importantly, we should be walking, believing in him because and just because of who he is and, and what he said, what he's taught. Amen?